Welcome to the Peer Marketing Podcast. This is our first of many and we've decided to put this podcast together to share the huge library of insights that we've put together over the last nine and a half years. So I am here today uh, with Celia, our principal consultant. My name's Alex, I'm the managing director here at Peer Marketing and we wanted to have a chat about brand position, brand positioning. Um, why it's so important to get your brand positioning right before you launch into any design and logo work. So, Celia, what what are your thoughts? My thoughts are um, really that a lot of uh, businesses think the first thing that you need is to have a logo and a look and feel that can represent who you are externally, but they don't do the work first on actually considering who they are and... um, where they sit in the market, how they um, sit next to their competitors or against their competitors, and therefore might produce um, a look and feel that isn't really consistent with the identity of the whole business and, and what you're trying to achieve. Um, and therefore it's quite important to do the planning and the thinking before um, jumping into execution. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think a lot... Of We've definitely had a number of people come to us and say, so just, I need a new logo. Yeah. But haven't necessarily, I think like you said, really thought through how they want to position themselves more generally in the market. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure, colours and look and feel is really important, but the logo and your fonts, your typefaces, whatever, any part of your brand, they're sort of like the visual representation. And... I think it's always been really helpful going through the process of understanding not only what it is you do, but why do you do it, who do you do it for or to, depending on, you know, product, service and the like. And even thinking about that, getting your ideal customer right without trying to chop off other large parts of the market as well. So, yeah, I think it's been a really interesting process to go through and for us to really hone over the last well, nine and a half, coming up ten years now. And what what do you think is sort of like, the, what's the starting point? What's the first question you sort of ask when you kick off a brand project with clients? Where do you start? I think it starts with identifying um, who you are, what you want to achieve and what your goals are. What, what does success look like to you? So asking, you know, what is it that you do? Who do you do it for? Why do you do it? Um, and start there. Um, I think it's incredibly important because it takes away some of the um, uh, thinking around um, how to be more objective because everyone has a perception of what's good, what's bad, preferences in colour, preferences in look and feel. And that just means that there's a really good brief in place when you start um, rolling out the um, logo look and feel uh, where people have an opportunity to, to bring it back to what are you trying to achieve here not not what's your preference who do you you know you have 10 personalities in a room that works in a business they're all going to view things differently and it's important to then bring it back to what does success look like what's the outcome you're trying to achieve um, and that comes from planning I think I think that's a really good point one of the things I think we come again up against um, or experience quite regularly is, I think, like you said, a lack of objectivity. And maybe people 
thinking that they are the client when they're not necessarily the client. And I think that's a really important point is that if you get it back to what what does the brand need to deliver in terms of a brief? So who are we talking to? Why are we talking to them? You know, what are we talking to them about? Makes it much easier to come up with something and deliver a brand that's more likely to talk to those that, that sort of customer group and as you say keep it objective rather than subjective to yeah I don't like that shade of blue mm. I also think people forget about the the people who use your either your services or buy your products in this journey and that might not be as you said the client um, so thinking about you know if, if they walk into to a shop and they see a, a shelf full of different products and you might be going in for toothpaste for example and you look at the branding and the logos and one might look expensive one might look more affordable one might um, only have natural ingredients and then it's that's where you start to think about what does those brands need to look like because they represent something when you see them they represent something in the store and automatically the person who has looked at it or engaged with it has a perception of what to expect and if that doesn't match uh, with what they actually get then then you're in trouble then you're not going to be successful in promoting your products or services it's yeah it's funny isn't it because you don't go i suppose if you're thinking about the toothpaste example it isn't design me a brand and then oh that looks expensive well now make an expensive toothpaste it is we want to make a really, really high-quality, high-value product. Mm -hmm. Let's design the product and make sure that it represents itself in front of the customer. And I think we've almost spoken about new branding, maybe, or Mm. but thinking about, we probably do a lot more, I think on balance, a lot more work in brand refreshes, brand extensions, um... I'm not sure what the difference necessarily in those terms mm-hmm. are potentially, but you know, get, taking something that's already been in the market for an extended period of time, it could be five years, it could be 50 years, and then thinking about the process we go through to make sure that that brand is still relevant. And is that the same process? Is it an iteration of that process? Is it a totally different process? And yeah, I, I've got a, a view on what, you should do with brands that are already in the market. I won't share that just yet. But yeah, what's your sort of approach or view with yeah, updating a brand that's already in the market? Well, I don't think there's ever a one-size-fits-all, and especially not when um, you're already in the market and you already have a profile in the market. That very much comes down to uh, project by project. I think what's important uh, when it comes to brands that are already in the market, it might actually not be enough with just brand positioning. I think you have to think a bit more holistically about um, any changes to a brand if you if you already have a brand in the market. Um, you shouldn't should never really change something for the sake of changing it. Um, certainly not if it's working. So I think it's p- more in depth planning. Or strategy is required if you if you're thinking about those sorts of changes, um, because you need to make sure that um, you are um, enhancing what you're doing in the market and not actually in any way hurting what you're already doing. Um, so I think 
having a really good understanding of that. And we have some clients as examples there. Um, we worked with Insight Systems for a number of years um, and their position in the market changed during COVID and their business grew and adapted to um, a different market um, than what it originally was. And because of that, that, um, that journey of a brand refresh to match that positioning um, occurred. But that came from a marketing strategy and really understanding the personas um, that would engage with that brand. And I think, therefore, you should never just really quickly jump into a, oh, we haven't changed our brand in a while, we should um, make it look a bit nicer. Um, does that make sense? Well, I'm, I'm just glad we're on the same page that you basically shouldn't change your brand if it's been in the market, unless it's for a really good reason. Um, I think, yeah, making sure that you value your brand equity, whether that be, you know, through a, 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 close, a close group of, you know, 10 customers, 100 customers, or a wider group of 10 million customers, obviously for some big uh, multinational businesses. It's a really, um, yeah, it takes a lot of careful thought. I remember... I can't remember, it was late 90s, but I remember it happening when BP, British Petroleum, changed their brand from the Shield to the Star, mm. or the Sun, I, I'm not entirely sure what it is, but the, the, the logo changed very, very dramatically, and they did that, my understanding is, for a couple of reasons. One was to drop uh, the reference to British out of British Petroleum and just mm. make it BP, um, mainly because I think half the business is owned in, by the US as well, in the US now, so it's, it just didn't make any sense from a, a brand name, but also the idea of almost imperial, uh, the imperial shield, which mm. didn't resonate anymore, um, the changing in that uh, in that market as well, and that was a huge project, so uh, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but it was millions, if not hundreds of millions. Well, of the investment in changing brand huge. needs to be considered before you jump into it, for sure. Um, but similarly, but on the other scale, you have Coca-Cola that just over such a, a long history has made such small iterations to modernise their logo that you don't notice them. Mm. So it's only really when you put, you know, the old one, the old the new one. one. Yeah. next to the new one that you can see that. Um, see the evolution. But that's evolution, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Extension and evolution. Uh, Luckier are the other ones that have never, I don't think they've ever changed their logo. And that, I mean, that in itself is a, a design... Uh, how good a designer do you have to be to in nineteen twenty or whatever it was to come up with a logo to a hundred and four years later mm. it still stands the test of time and it still does what it needs to do and I suppose that just goes back to the point of that if you've got a brand in the market don't just think I'm bored with my logo let's do a new one mm. think about why you're doing it what's the reason for it um and often that's someone new coming into a business and wanting to make, put their own stamp on it or make a change. So it might just be, I don't like blue, for example. I'd much rather have a more earthy tone. Mm. Uh, or I want this to represent something that I can see that I've done with the business. And I think just you know coming in and, and thinking a bit um, larger picture there is important. And that's interesting in itself, isn't it? Because you think of the likes of Apple. Because I was just thinking about tech companies. Um, I'm not sure how much Apple have ever changed their logo. They moved away from the coloured stripes mm. and then to the just the single, the monochrome Apple, which is obviously a huge um, visual change, but still keeping very much 
historical um, yeah, connection. The, exactly, exactly. And then Microsoft, which are now the four squares, which I think is almost born of the windows, the old windows logo, mm. which was the, the window flying through the air with the, um, with the tail on it, mm. which is, yeah, again, 1990s Microsoft Windows probably wouldn't stand, stand up in 2024. Um, now, but yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting the different decisions that are made, why they're made, um, and how we get there. Yeah. And I think one of the things we haven't touched on, we've obviously touched a lot on 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 logos and brand architecture. But what is in a brand positioning statement? Yeah. What does that yeah. look like? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good question, and making sure that when you go and eat well, whether it's internally whether you're using agency whatever it is but how you should structure that document to go through your tone of voice making sure that you've got consistency that um, if you want to be seen as professional and forward thinking and uh, innovative and you know technologically led that you're speaking in that way um, and then making sure that the um, people that you're, I suppose, documenting the personas as well, making sure that you know who you're t- talking to um, and then what you're talking to them about. And one of the uh, well, a client that we've been working with now for oh, probably about six months um, and they're very keen on don't just talk about the products that we offer, talk much more about our, I mean, I think in marketing speak you'd call it your augmented product which is all the things that sort of that support it and all the things that make your product much more exciting to your customer or more differentiatable, different, differentiatable um, uh, than just what it is that you sell. So what's the service you use? What's the, uh, the engineering you use? What's the, um, the, the service level offering? Well, when can you expect to hear back? How easy is it to deal with? And actually documenting that so that a, um, uh, a customer that comes to you is really clear about what they're going to get, not through the brand position document, but through your communication that you put out to them. I feel like that, what you just said that uh, there, Alex, is, is key, and it's something we come back to up here all the time, and that is clarity. Yeah. Um, it is clarity in tone of voice. It is clarity in offer. It is clarity of... Um, how you're positioning yourself as a service it's always about clarity and it's clarity informs that whole planning process the whole um, thinking before you even launch into anything um, like brand architecture or what a logo might look like just knowing exactly what the expectation is and what it should look like I I think that's really interesting as well because when we deal with more complex businesses complex products Mm. I think there can be a uh, definitely overcomplication, and especially with language as well, mm. is how do we make sure that you keep the language simple, even if the subject matter, even if the subject matter isn't, because with um, even very complex subjects, the people that are trying to read that content often don't have a huge amount of time to read it. So how can you allow them? to dip in, understand what it is you offer, understand what it is that you sell, not reducing the, yeah, not reducing the, the, the quality of the information. Um, and there's a thing uh, called the flesh score, which basically rates how easy something, how easy a, a set of 
communication is. And really what you want to be able to do is write it so that basically a 12-year-old can understand the words, mm. but not necessarily the subject matter, which is fine. So that you can pick something up, read it really quickly, digest what you're trying to say, put it back down, and then come back to long-form content, which I suppose is an argument, is that once you get into long-form content, so white papers, uh, blogs, um, even sort of technical data, those things, they can be very, very technical, use a lot more jargon, but in the sort of the more short form, you don't want just, for instance, a LinkedIn post full of acronyms, do you? You no. want to be able to yeah, quickly communicate and then people can find out more as they go sort of through the communication uh, chain. And that just comes back to the marketing funnel, right? It's, it's casting a net broad and the, the larger target audience is um, the the simpler and more easy to read version and then yeah. as you get people engaged they are more likely to, to want more detail and um, you get the right people um, on your website searching for blogs and white papers you know that you can um, have a slightly different type of approach to that than your gen more general communication. I think that's a really nice practical example actually because you're quite right when the funnel is wide the detail needs to be tight, if the funnel is um, get tightens down, the detail needs to be more and more and more specific. So you've almost got sort of two reverse funnels, whereas people come down the sales marketing funnel to a point, actually the information they're getting gets yeah, wider and broader mm. and more detailed. So they kind of they, they work in reverse. Um, yeah, so I think that's really important to think think about that and how you structure your communication out once you've set what your brand means in the market. Yeah. There's a lot of exciting stuff around. We love planning. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the, pretty much the crux of what we do, isn't it? Yeah. Think about stuff. Do a lot of thinking. Uh, get that investment up front so that we know what we're going to do. And then that allows you to roll out whatever you're doing for years, basically. Exactly. You, know, you shouldn't be chopping and changing. And that comes back to your point on clarity. Is you're chopping and changing your brand position every 6, 12, 18 months, 20, 24 months, whatever it might be. That's highly confusing to people. Oh, it's just not good for any of the people in the market, especially people who don't see your content as, as regularly as you do. Um, no. I think that's a really good point as well. If, if you're getting bored of your content, you're probably getting to the point where some of your audience might be taking note. So I think, yeah, being allowed... Being bored of your brand is not a good reason to change your brand. Absolutely. And uh, actually, it's probably a really good thing if you're bored of your brand because, as we say, people might well be starting to uh, yeah, acknowledge its existence in, exactly. in, in the market. Um, Celia, do you have any sort of closing thoughts or ideas you want to share? Not at all. I think just we are certainly here to help if, um, if people are, are not sure where to start with their yeah. brand positioning and their branding. Um, and we love it when people come in and just ask, what is it that you can do for me? How can you help me? Um, because um, that means we get to start um, the process right. Oh, it's the best question because then it becomes a collaborative discussion about what does your business do? What do we think we should do? How are we going to achieve it? Um, yeah, the danger is I need a new logo. Our question should always be why. Mm. Um, so, yeah, very good. All right. Well, Celia, thank you so much for uh, joining me for our first podcast on brand positioning and what it means. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to the next one uh, coming soon.
Thank you. Thank you.